Section 13 of On Benefits. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jennifer Painter. On Benefits by Seneca. Translated by Aubrey Stewart. Book 4, Chapters 35 to 40. When I promise to bestow a benefit, I promise it, unless something occurs which makes it my duty not to do so. What if, for example, my country orders me to give to her what I had promised to my friend? Or if a law be passed forbidding anyone to do what I had promised to do for him? Suppose that I have promised you my daughter in marriage, that then you turn out to be a foreigner, and that I have no right of intermarriage with foreigners. In this case, the law, by which I am forbidden to fulfil my promise, forms my defence. I shall be treacherous, and hear myself blamed for inconsistency, only if I do not fulfil my promise when all conditions remain the same as when I made it. Otherwise, any change makes me free to reconsider the entire case, and absolves me from my promise. I may have promised to plead a cause. Afterwards it appears that this cause is designed to form a precedent for an attack upon my father. I may have promised to leave my country and travel abroad. Then news comes that the road is beset with robbers. I was going to an appointment at some particular place, but my son's illness, or my wife's confinement, prevented me. All conditions must be the same as they were when I made the promise, if you mean to hold me bound in honour to fulfil it. Now what greater change can take place than that I should discover you to be a bad and ungrateful man? I shall refuse to an unworthy man that which I had intended to give him, supposing him to be worthy, and I shall also have reason to be angry with him for the trick which he has put upon me. I shall nevertheless look into the matter, and consider what the value of the thing promised may be. If it be trifling, I shall give it, not because you are worthy of it, but because I promised it. And I shall not give it as a present, but merely in order to make good my words, and give myself a twitch of the ear. I will punish my own rashness in promising by the loss of what I gave. See how grieved you are. Mind you take more care what you say in future. As the saying is, I will take tongue money from you. If the matter be important, I will not, as Messinus said, let ten million surstes reproach me. I will weigh the two sides of the question, one against the other. There is something in abiding by what you have promised. On the other hand, there is a great deal in not bestowing a benefit upon one who is unworthy of it. Now, how great is this benefit? If it is a trifling one, let us wink and let it pass. But if it will cause me much loss or much shame to give it, I had rather excuse myself once for refusing it than have to do so ever after for giving it. The whole point, I repeat, depends upon how much the thing given is worth. Let the terms of my promise be appraised. Not only shall I refuse to give what I may have promised rashly, 
but I shall also demand back again what I may have wrongly bestowed. A man must be mad who keeps a promise made under a mistake. Philip, king of the Macedonians, had a hardy soldier whose services he had found useful in many campaigns. From time to time he made this man presents of part of the plunder as the reward of his valour, and used to excite his greedy spirit by his frequent gifts. This man was cast by shipwreck upon the estate of a certain Macedonian, who, as soon as he heard the news, hastened to him, restored his breath, removed him to his own farmhouse, gave up his own bed to him, nursed him out of his weakened and half-dead condition, took care of him at his own expense for thirty days, restored him to health, and gave him a sum of money for his journey, as the man kept constantly saying, "'If only I can see my chief, I will repay your kindness.' He told Philip of his shipwreck, said nothing about the help which he had received, and at once demanded that a certain man's estate should be given to him. The man was a friend of his. It was that very man by whom he had been rescued and restored to health. Sometimes, especially in time of war, kings bestow many gifts with their eyes shut. One just man cannot deal with such a mass of armed selfishness. It is not possible for any one to be at the same time a good man and a good general. How are so many thousands of insatiable men to be satiated? What would they have if every man had his own? Thus Philip reasoned with himself, while he ordered the man to be put in possession of the property which he asked for. However, the other, when driven out of his estate, did not, like a peasant, endure his wrongs in silence, thankful that he himself was not given away also, but sent a sharp and outspoken letter to Philip, who, on reading it, was so much enraged that he straightway ordered Pausanias to restore the property to its former owner, and to brand that wickedest of soldiers, that most ungrateful of guests, that greediest of shipwrecked men, with letters bearing witness to his ingratitude. He, indeed, deserved to have the letters not merely branded, but carved in his flesh, for having reduced his host to the condition in which he himself had been when he lay naked and shipwrecked upon the beach. Still, let us see within what limits one ought to keep in punishing him. Of course, what he had so villainously seized ought to be taken from him, but who would be affected by the spectacle of his punishment? The crime which he had committed would prevent his being pitied even by any humane person. Will Philip then give you a thing because he has promised to give it, even though he ought not to do so, even though he will commit a wrong by doing so? Nay, a crime, even though by this one act he will make it impossible for shipwrecked men to reach the shore? There is no inconsistency in giving up an intention which we have discovered to be wrong and have condemned as wrong. We ought candidly to admit, I thought that it was something different. I have been deceived. It is mere pride and folly to persist. What I once have said, be it what it may, shall remain, unaltered and settled. 
There is no disgrace in altering one's plans according to circumstances. Now, if Philip had left this man in possession of that seashore, which he obtained by his shipwreck, would he not have practically pronounced sentence of banishment against all unfortunates for the future? Rather, says Philip, do thou carry upon thy forehead of brass those letters that they may be impressed upon the eyes of all throughout my kingdom. Go, let men see how sacred a thing is the table of hospitality. Show them your face, that upon it they may read the decree which prevents its being a capital crime to give refuge to the unfortunate under one's roof. The order will be more certainly respected by this means than if I had inscribed it upon tablets of brass. Why then, argues our adversary, did your stoic philosopher Zeno, when he had promised a loan of five hundred denarii to some person, whom he afterwards discovered to be of doubtful character, persist in lending it, because of his promise, though his friends dissuaded him from doing so. In the first place, a loan is on a different footing to a benefit. Even when we have lent money to an undesirable person, we can recall it. I can demand payment upon a certain day, and if he becomes bankrupt, I can obtain my share of his property. But a benefit is lost utterly and instantly. Besides, the one is the act of a bad man, the other of a bad father of a family. In the next place, if the sum had been a larger one, not even Zeno would have persisted in lending it. It was five hundred denarii, the sort of sum of which one says, may he spend it in sickness, and it was worth paying so much to avoid breaking his promise. I shall go out to supper, even though the weather be cold, because I have promised to go, but I shall not have snow be falling. I shall leave my bed to go to a betrothal feast, though I may be suffering from indigestion, but I shall not do so if I am feverish. I will become bail for you, because I promised, but not if you wish me to become bail in some transaction of uncertain issue, if you expose me to forfeiting my money to the state. There runs through all these cases, I argue, an implied exception. If I am able, provided it is right for me to do so, if these things be so and so. Make the position the same when you ask me to fulfil my promise, as it was when I gave it, and it will be mere fickleness to disappoint you. But if something new has taken place in the meanwhile, why should you wonder at my intentions being changed when the conditions under which I gave the promise are changed? Put everything back as it was, and I shall be the same as I was. We enter into recognances to appear, yet if we fail to do so, an action will not in all cases lie against us, for we are excused for making default, if forced to do so by a power which we cannot resist. You may take the same answer to the question as to whether we ought in all cases to show gratitude for kindness, and whether a benefit ought in all cases to be repaid. It is my duty to show a grateful mind, but in some cases my own poverty, in others the prosperity of the friend to whom I owe some return, will not permit me to give it. What, for instance, am I, a poor man, to give to a king or a rich man in return for his kindness, especially as some men regard it as a wrong to have their benefits repaid, 
and are wont to pile one benefit upon another. In dealing with such persons, what more can I do than wish to repay them? Yet I ought not to refuse to receive a new benefit, because I have not repaid the former one. I shall take it as freely as it is given, and will offer myself to my friend as a wide field for the exercise of his good nature. He who is unwilling to receive new benefits must be dissatisfied with what he has already received. Do you say, I shall not be able to return them? What is that to the purpose? I am willing enough to do so if opportunity or means were given me. He gave it to me, of course, having both opportunity and means. Is he a good man or a bad one? If he is a good man, I have a good case against him, and I will not plead if he be a bad one. Neither do I think it right to insist on making repayment, even though it be against the will of those whom we repay, and to press it upon them however reluctant they may be. It is not repayment to force an unwilling man to resume what you were once willing to take. Some people, if any trifling present be sent to them, afterwards send back something else for no particular reason, and then declare that they are under no obligation. To send something back at once, and balance one present by another, is the next thing to refusing to receive it. On some occasions I shall not return a benefit, even though I be able to do so. When? When, by doing so, I shall myself lose more than he will gain, or if he would not notice any advantage to himself in receiving that which it would be a great loss to me to return. The man who is always eager to repay under all circumstances has not the feeling of a grateful man, but of a debtor. And, to put it shortly, he who is too eager to repay is unwilling to be in his friend's debt. He who is unwilling, and yet is in his friend's debt, is ungrateful. End of section 13